0: Hey, what's up, guys? In this podcast, we're talking lessons learned in 2023. I'm joined by Kevin Jordan again on the podcast. Kevin's kind of becoming a co-host of the podcast, which I'm not averse to. Kevin, you're doing a really good job, honestly. Not averse to is a shining recommendation. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, there's room for a 0. 0.5 improvement. I gave four and a half stars, right? That That's not bad. That's not bad. At least you didn't cut me down right at the beginning. (laughs) That's true. So we're talking lessons learned. And I know every single year, like especially at the end of the year, you have time to look back at what's what you've done or what you've accomplished as a photographer. And this year is no different. Going into 2024, I think it's a great opportunity to kind of look back, both me and you, Kevin, to think, you know, what did we learn this year? And and what did what became of it, right? Because there's always lessons that you can learn and then something you can apply afterwards. So why don't you start us off by going right into one of your lessons learned that you experienced in 2023?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to say, in, I, I was kind of thinking about this beforehand and, and what I wanted to say and reflect on. And a lot of times in past years, my lessons learned has been mostly like photography, technical based like certain ways I use my gear, certain ways to post process and composition and things like that. A lot of what I have this year is a lot different than that. But the one thing that I did notice is that I did use my camera less in the past couple of years. I have used my camera a bit less. And I learned that for me, photography is almost a muscle that kind of atrophies if you don't use it. There was, you know, a couple times this year when I went out on a trip or, or went out on a shoot. And the first couple of days, I kind of felt like I was, you know, using the camera in all the ways I knew how to do, but the results just weren't really there. What so, do you mean?
0: I, like, like, give us an example.
1: Um, I think it mostly had to do with composition. Like I would, okay. you know, I, I would be at a scene kind of scanning to see what I liked. And, you know, I, I would still take the shots and, and got, kind of go about it the same way I always would. But the the results just weren't there. I, I recall this actually happened to me once before is when you and I were shooting in the Smokies we were mm. standing at a waterfall and it's one that I think you had probably been to many times before, you know, you, we stood at the obvious composition and you kind of moved on to something else cause you had been there already. I stood at the obvious composition and I stared at it for like a half hour until I finally, finally figured out what I could do with it. Um, if, if I hadn't have let that muscle atrophy, like I did oftentimes, you know, this past year or two, that would have come to me a lot quicker. So, you know, once you start doing it again, like I think it's a bit of a riding the bike thing for me, at least it comes back fairly quickly, but it, there's definitely for me at least, uh, you know, a bit of time to kind of reacclimate myself, uh, if I've been away from the camera for a little bit.
0: What do you, and I've had this exact same thing happen to me and it's actually one of the things that I was thinking about, but mine's a little bit different than yours. So that's going to be interesting to get into kind of compare and contrast. Okay. What, like, I'm curious to know though, like, what about yours? What triggered it to come back? Do you think? Just doing it, I think. Um,
1: the the thing that that comes to mind to me is I I took a two week trip out in California back in May into June, and it was the, at the beginning of that trip where I really hadn't used my camera much at all, you know, in 2023 leading up to that point. And the first couple of days of that trip, it was you know I felt a bit rusty, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, but as soon as you know we we got into that trip, started hitting different locations and exploring a bit, and it started to come back
0: interesting photographers not using their cameras that is a interesting concept honestly well when you say it that way it just sounds obvious (laughs) so mine is like the same but at the same time it's a little bit different um for me the atrophy was like really good uh, and and i kind of needed it um and whenever i felt that bug kind of come at me Like, hey, I really want to go take photos. I would just go to like local places. um, And I wouldn't be too obsessive about, you know, going on a photo trip. And, And that's something that I did one time this past year, right? It's not something. And I drove to the Smokies, which I've been to several times. And I probably, you know, spent five hours out shooting over a course of three days. So not too much going on. Um, but I really decided to do a lot of local shoots. And instead of those big epic scenes, um, I just focused on like small scenes. I did a lot of fern photography. I used my lens baby macro lens a bunch, um, and worked with that and tried to get different scenes, but something really interesting happened during that. And that was regaining kind of this identity as a photographer and understanding the kinds of photos that I like to do. Uh, and that is big landscapes. Uh, and I kind of steered away from that in the past few years, trying to, I don't know if it was like bang my head against the wall, but I was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I guess i should say with smaller scenes and intimates and all that not to say that it was bad to to go that approach and try that out Uh, but i have a lot more fun doing the bigger landscapes um if that makes sense and i think taking time off really helped me realize that and decide that um on my own
1: no, I mean, I think that makes sense. And, and honestly, we're we're going into a kind of time of year now in wintertime where I typically will put the camera away for a little bit and winter is my time to sort of focus on other things. Um, and I think that time away does help to an extent, too. I mean, like I said before, I think when I pick up the camera again, I'll probably be a little rusty. It'll come back soon enough. But I think what you're saying makes sense is, you know, a way of like a creative reset, too. And it's it's funny that you mentioned kind of the small scenes as – you know, square peg in a round hole. Cause I almost think in past years, I've kind of had the opposite progression where, you know, and, and I think to, to extent this kind of follows, um, you know, the images kind of prevalent on the internet and social media, kind of as I was learning photography, because at first it was the, you know, 500 PX, uh, you know, big, you know, close foreground wide angle scenes um, you know, high saturation and all that. And, You know, I I got shot like shots like that, that I still love. um, But I also think that those shots were a lot more stressful to get because I was doing a lot of planning. I was going to certain locations, you know, really trying to. You're a planner. Wait, shocker alert. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) What David is referencing is the notes we had before this podcast and how mine
0: were (laughs) his. I'm a scientist. It's the only way I know. That's fair. I mean, the planning part does come into it. But don't you think that going the small scene route and kind of adapting to what you have really helps you when you're getting to a larger scene? And then you're like, hey, here's what I have to work with. How how am I going to fit this all together? I, I think you can definitely pick and choose different parts of like genres of landscape photography and then piece them together into what you love best.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true. And actually, if I think if I look back and kind of zoom out at the last like 10 years or so, since I've really picked up a camera and gotten serious about it, I have I did kind of start with those wide angle scenes and, you know, really trying to hunt those down um, and then sort of started to move more towards those smaller scenes that you were talking about. And i found those a lot more gratifying it's it's a lot more exploration and just kind of like you know taking what the landscape gives you as opposed to i need to go to this location and get these specific conditions it it doesn't mean i don't still plan out shots sometimes um and you know use the wide angle lens and things like that but like you said there's a lot of benefits to doing those smaller scenes you can do them anywhere you know especially like during the pandemic i could hit the local trails 10 minutes from my house and walk around and I was going to see things that were, like you said, I mean, there's trails nearby with like these really lush ferns in like May and June, and you know, they look the same as they would in like, you know, Pacific Northwest, uh, just depends how, how much you zoom out the camera.
0: Yeah, truly. And I would love, and I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much of like small scene versus grand landscape. Cause I feel like that's been talked to death a lot and I don't <laughs> want to go there too much, but. I kind of have this theory about photographers and I want to get your take because I'm rethinking this theory a lot about is there a natural progression for landscape photographers starting out wide angle and then kind of narrowing in to small scene over time or is it just kind of like this trendy thing that's happening of you know you mentioned 500px and how everything was just big massive foregrounds wide angles. Um, and then now you see a lot of, honestly, I mean, you and I probably have some of the best, I mean, favorite photographers on our lists and they, for the most part, a lot of them are doing small scenes.
1: Yeah. And actually it's, I've thought about this a lot too. And I think it's tough to answer the question because I think that my progression, it was influenced by those trends that you'd see online, but also it just happened to work really well for me. Like for me. Photography is, it's like, it's exploring, it's mindfulness and a stress release. And for me, that works a lot better when I'm focusing on those smaller scenes and, you know, maybe taking out the telephoto lens and zooming in on something far off. And that's definitely, you know, a progression that I saw online that I'm sure influenced me. So it's tough to say, you know, chicken or the egg, it, it, how that affected me versus how I would have progressed otherwise. I'd be curious to hear, you know, someone who started out like five years ago and got serious of it, how they progressed. If it was, you know, they were jumping right into the small scenes first or if it was still, you know, wide angle, go see the icons, the national parks. And then once you've shot those, start to kind of look at the other things around the area.
0: I wonder if it's the accessibility to like kit lenses, too. Right. Cause you get like an entry level body for your camera and then it usually comes with like a wide angle lens and sometimes a telephoto lens. But a lot of times I feel like people are like, I don't know how to use this long lens a little bit intimidating. I'm going to go with the smaller one.
1: No, that's a good point. And I, I mean, and it is true of my first kit lens too. It was like the, you know, Canon rebel 18 to 55, I think it was back in the day. And that's, you know, it's not ultra wide, but it's, wide angle to mid range. So it does kind of force your hand with what you do off the bat, if that's the one you have.
0: For sure. For sure. Thing you learned lesson number two for you was what? Uh, I almost kind of referenced
1: it a little bit already, but it's and I mentioned it in a past podcast, but just the idea of taking a step back and zooming out and kind of looking at your photography from a more long term perspective, it, you know, is something I'd did just not necessarily intentionally over the past year but i i did a lot of kind of looking back on previous work and seeing how i've progressed and you know have progressed on the business side of things too and it it's something that i've learned is really valuable for me because it's you know for the longest time i would take photos and i would look at them and my favorite photo would be the most recent one you know the one i was most excited about but As you build a body of work, it's, you know, you have those old favorites that stick around in your portfolio and things like that. So to kind of take a step back and look at everything as a whole and see, you know, like we were talking about earlier, how my shots went from a certain style, you know, 10 years ago to sort of changing a little bit five years ago, and now sort of kind of hitting an equilibrium between the two Um, from an artistic perspective, I found that really helpful And also from a business perspective, I thought it helpful too, because, you know, I had some opportunities this year that I'll, I'll mention that, you know, I wouldn't have expected to be a possibility three, four or five years ago, and certainly not 10 years ago when I started. So that taking the step back is, you know, I don't know if other people typically do that. And I just didn't think to for a long time, but if you don't, it's definitely worthwhile. Cause it, it gives you some good perspective on, on what you've done with your photography and how it goes.
0: Well, I think if we just, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, you can't really see this on the podcast audio, but if we just look behind your head, I mean, it's kind of like your progression as a photographer, like right behind you. Right. Would you, is that fair? Um, sort I mean, of. We, yeah. I, we got no. some, we got some big scenes. We got some small scenes, some night stuff. Honestly, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you've you've that's a
1: that's a Yosemite shot that's you know probably 2015. So that was during the sort of the grand landscape phase. Yeah, then right. we got some smaller ones, some milk. Yeah, honestly, it's it's a pretty good smattering to show what I've got. A
0: smattering? Wow. Is that that's a good that,
1: one? Is that not a term the kids use?
0: No, I I have not heard that word in quite some time. Um, but that was a good one to use. And I think like If you do zoom out and look at all your work in progression, it usually is a smattering, as you say, but here, like I'm kind of looking at some of my photos on the wall in front of me, um, because I have them on the opposite side over here. And what's interesting is like. I would use my photography to travel a lot and see these new places and uh, maybe go like the Smokies. I went there as I was a kid and uh, going back with a camera, it was like a whole new way to see. And, but if I look at like travel photography, all of my travel photography is honed in on like small scenes and telephoto work, which is really interesting because all my landscape work was wide angle at the time. Um, so I don't know if like the genres play into that. If you look at the smattering and I'll have to work smattering into the title, because this is like, it's too good to keep saying, <laughs> uh, but if you look at everything as a whole, like, I feel like everybody tries something at least once and they decide on if they like it or not. Um, and, and if they go one route or another. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's important for the process, too.
1: I mean, I, you know, you've got to try things and see if they work for you. And if you like them, maybe you do, maybe you don't, maybe you take something you've learned from that process and apply it
0: to different types of work. So no, I I think that exploration is really important. Yeah, definitely. I, here's, here's my second lesson learned. Um, And that is to stop learning about photography. And if you're doing something like business-wise, I would say start learning about photography business. And real quick, if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to it on the podcast, definitely go to myphotohustle.com because there's a free web class happening right now that's called Turn Your Passion for Photography Into a Side Hustle. So again, that's myphotohustle.com and you can register for that free web class. A nice segue into my second lesson learned and that is on the business side. And I really committed to going all out and learning about the business side um and i I, you know like when you make resolutions and you're like i'm gonna read you know a book a month and i'm really gonna you know start getting on that rabbit wheel of reading that was mine uh i read one book in the first week of january and that was the only book i read all year um (laughs) so i crushed it that first week and then fell off the train afterwards but the book was really helpful in learning about making offers and sales and getting better as, as a, a business owner. And even if you are just making a little bit of money for like gear or travel, just have that trade off for money for travel or money for gear, you still need to learn some of those business tactics. Uh, and I really went all in on that and, and put the photography courses to aside Cause I have courses from like, Nick Page, Sean Bagshaw, um, a lot of other photographers too. And I just put it to the side for a while and said, you know what, I'm going to focus on business this year.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And honestly, I, I kind of took a pretty similar approach almost unintentionally this year. I mean, I I definitely, I had set some goals to try and work harder at the business side of things and definitely actively work towards that. But yeah, I, I think it's something, I mean, maybe you make a little bit of money and you kind of fund your travel and your gear purchases, like you said, and, and that's enough for you. That's what I was doing for a long time. You know, a couple of years ago, I made the decision that I kind of wanted to push a little bit harder towards it. And it, it definitely, it definitely is worth doing if, if you're, if it interests you. Um, but it does mean that you have to, you know, instead of thinking yourself as a photographer who wants to have a business, I think you have to think of yourself as you know a business first and your service is photography and it, maybe that mind shift isn't you know needed for everyone for, for me that kind of helped because it it helped me kind of focus my thoughts of you know how i'm spending my time what i'm doing you know how does it reach that goal
0: uh, that's a great point i mean one of the things that i did read in that first week of january was you are not like what your business does, you are a marketer of your business. Um, So I'm like, I I had to come to terms of, hey, I'm not really a photographer, I'm a marketer of what I sell as a photographer. Um, And for me, like, I know, I'm not up high on the list of like best photographers in the world. I I totally know that. And I have come to terms with that. But I also know that my goal in the photography business side is to be kind of like a multimedia company, um, to have audio, video, um, still images, things like that. Live web classes to help people. Cause you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to do this for a living. Um, and I would love to help other people realize that same thing. Um, and, and for me, having that as kind of the driving force behind my business has really helped me understand the business side specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, and for me, it was, it was just that, you know, I decided it it was on a recommendation from a friend. He said, you know, if you think you want to try and pursue the business side of things, just set yourself a sales goal. It can be something really easy to hit. It can be something absurd. It can be both of those. And that's actually what I ended up doing is I set myself sort of like an ideal goal that I thought was at a level of, you know, if I just put kind of steady work into this, you know, nothing over the top, nothing crazy, I could probably reach this goal. And the ideal goal was how did this happen? I crushed it. This is great. How could I repeat this sort of thing? Um, and, and I've ended up sort of like in the middle to upper end of that for this year, which is great, but it, it definitely took, you know, thinking about what I was doing in a different way. Um, because previously, and honestly, this, I would say leads in perfectly to my, my number three is that I think early on, I just kind of expected people to find my photos, you know, you put it on Instagram and, and it would get out into the world and everyone would just throw money at you, which I don't know everybody else's experience but that's not how it went for me <laughs> um so i, I realized that you really just you know it, it, every other business advertises they market whether it be word of mouth or something more more formal than that but it you know for me it it wasn't so specific as like you know oh i have to go run big ads or be up on a billboard somewhere but you've got to give people a chance to find you and whether that just being really good about social media, which I am not and tried to be better at and did a little better at. Um, always run for improvement. But also, you know, I had written some blog posts over the years and I had multiple inquiries this year from people just saying, you know, I popped up in a, in a search engine kind of thing. And that was work I put in a couple of years ago, kept it on my website and eventually it, it worked out. So, you know everything you do can kind of work towards that goal but you're you're not necessarily going to get there if people can't find you Mm -hmm. so i i i know i was guilty early on of just kind of sitting back and you know loving the idea of making money off photography but not really being proactive about trying to make it happen and in the past couple years i've tried to be more proactive and have definitely learned that it helps and You know, if if people don't know who you are or where you are or what you do, it's
0: going to be an uphill battle. Is that your number three? It is. Okay. What, like, put it into, like, a one-word sentence. Or not a one-word sentence, just one sentence. You need to allow people to be able to find you and your work. Okay. That definitely makes sense. And... I want to get your take on this too, because I have, I've talked to a lot of people who design websites, I've even interviewed them on the podcast before. And for the most part, and since you've gotten inquiry, inquiries on, on how you've come up in search engines, like, would you say the website side of it is SEO based or user enjoyment based?
1: Um, I mean, I don't think my website is a great example right now because it's been on my to-do list to update that thing for years now. Well, uh, everybody could say that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think it's, I, I, I think the SEO factors in because, you know, there's some way that you have to be able to stand out and, and be found and differentiate. And I mean, there can be any number of photographers with great photos. I mean, like you were saying earlier, I, I I've. I'm not worried about being the absolute best photographer. I. I take my photos. I end up with products I'm happy with. Perfect. That's enough for me. Um, but we're in an industry that's pretty saturated. There's a lot of other photographers. A lot of great photographers. That's fine. But you know, I think the website has to. You know, we'll, we'll say it this way it's it's more or less the only thing that you have control over. Any social media platform can change their ways and, and crush your reach and things like that, but your website, you know, can bring people in and help them stay there. So the SEO is important, but I think they get there, you know, having the experience is important too. And I think that's just a matter of focusing on what do you want the website to say? If you feel you're focused on education, it's going to be moved in that direction. If I'm focused on sort of, the storytelling aspect and selling prints and things like that, it's more geared towards that.
0: Yeah, something you said, just then kind of reminded me of one of the lessons learned that that I had queued up. And that was storytelling, um, something that I feel like a lot of photographers have struggle with. And for me, you know, my number three lesson learned is don't take yourself so seriously that you forget about what you're experiencing. Um, And like, what do I mean by that? It's more along the lines of going out with like a goal in mind. And, And for me, you know, I'm doing like video work, I'm doing audio work while I'm out in the field sometimes too. And I kind of split the two into work photography shoots and fun photography shoots, right? And in the fun photography shoots i was spending a lot more time out in the field i was taking my time i was enjoying the experience um you know going on hikes with my daughter letting her hold the camera while i was also having an anxiety attack because she was holding the camera and (laughs) but just seeing things like that in a new way and taking my time and just not like not taking everything so so seriously um was a real breath of fresh air for me and look i started the year on that kick for hey i'm gonna read you know a book a month um didn't make it far in that journey at all but then through that um i've i've also have the personality of like ultra competitive um i am i've always played sports i'm a very competitive person if we are playing a game i don't care if it is high ho cheerio with my daughter if i lose i'm gonna be mad um so i like have to win and for me like the business side of photography is kind of that outlet for me right and and now that i have that separate outlet i can now really enjoy photography for what it is like I was doing it before I was trying to make a side hustle or a full-time job with it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And that, and that's, that's a big reason why I've never tried to go full-time in photography is because I felt that I would lose that separation. Um, but I want to go back to something you were saying, because it, you know, you talk about that separation of, you know, you know, being out with your daughter and, and almost having a heart attack, if she drops the camera and things like that. But is, is being able to do that more? Has that, you know, encouraged sort of more of the storytelling side of things for your photography and helped you connect more with it? Or?
0: I would say that's a great point. Uh, I would say probably because she moves at such a sloths pace, um, (laughs) no matter what what we're doing, that it does kind of force you to stop and enjoy things along the way. Um, Like, I can remember one of the hikes we did her uh, apparently her goal unbeknownst to me was to document every single spider web on the trail and if you've ever been out in nature there are quite a few spider webs along trails um so we probably made it you know a tenth of a mile down the trail and she's taken like 50 pictures already and just wants to be carried at this point so it forced me to kind of go a little bit more slowly and while she was doing her thing like we got her just a little camera off of amazon so that she could take it with her and you know it's like 20 bucks so we're not going to be too upset if she drops it versus you know an 1800 camera or something like that but she would do her thing and then i'd kind of look around and do my thing while she was doing that and it it was great. I mean, it was a lot of fun and it took me back to, you know, I used to take cameras out. Don't tell my previous employer this, but I used to take cameras out with me while I would work and I would find, you know, spider webs would do on them and things like that and try to photograph them in a unique way. First of all, I'm glad there are people like
1: you and your daughter who like to photograph spider webs and document them because <laughs> I try to ignore them and pretend they don't exist. Yeah, you uh, know, you know which doesn't work well when you're doing, you know, night hikes and Milky Way photography and you're six feet tall. And
0: they just seem to go right across the trail and right across face level. You got to hike with the tripod out in front of you. Oh, all right. That's a
1: good pro tip. That's going to be a lesson learned for 2024.
0: <laughs> no spider webs in the face, 2024. It's my resolution. That's that's the dream, man.
1: Um, it is. But to, to, to touch more on the storytelling part of things, I, you know, it's something that i care about and something that i enjoy. i've always enjoyed writing, so to you know, try and blend that with the photography has just sort of been a natural thing for me. So to you know, write a blog post, write a story. Like all, all of my prints that i that i sell like at art fairs and in stores and things like that, i have a printed story on the back of all of them. Hmm. And in some cases the story is just a little bit about the location that you might not know. Um, sometimes it's something that happened to me while I was out there. It's a blend between the two, but I, I try and have there be some kind of extra context to go along with the photo partially just cause I enjoy it. But, you know, I think it also has another benefit too, that it, it kind of helps people stop and enjoy things a bit more sort of in the same way you were talking about doing that with your daughter, daughter out on the trail. You know, I've, I've been in uh, a coffee shop before where I, where I sell some shots and I actually, you know, at that point I had no idea if this storytelling aspect actually landed with anybody because it, because it's not for everybody and that's okay. But you know, I watched someone walk Mm -hmm. into the room where my photos were, um, turn around a photo from, let's see, it was that one from the solar eclipse Mm -hmm. and a pretty big long story on the back of it. And she stood there and read the whole thing and then walked over to the register and bought it. And that was my first realization of, Oh, there are actually other people out here that, that this, this resonates with. So, you know, it's, Especially in a, in such a fast paced world where our, our attention is constantly being dragged in different directions, you know, if it's something you enjoy doing, that could be a thing that really, you know, helps someone to, instead of just scrolling past, stopping and, you know, appreciating a photo more from learning about the place or the experience that goes into it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, something else that's interesting about storytelling is adopting other visual processes in as well. And I honestly think and I I talked about this with Michael Shane Bloom recently is that the video like adopting video a lot has allowed me to appreciate more photography because it helps me notice things a little bit more. Um because I'm going out and trying to capture especially with the storytelling aspect of it, I'm trying to capture Uh, a wide scene, followed by a close up scene, followed by a medium scene, and all the water has to flow in the same direction to make it, you know, adequate. And for me, that's just helped me a lot see different colors, contrast tones, movement. And I I think it's made my photography a little bit more interesting um, when it comes to the smaller scenes, not so much the grand scenes, but smaller scenes specifically. That's that's actually
1: really cool to hear because I've actually had a similar idea in the past of just trying to challenge myself to go to a certain location and do just that. Get your get your wide scene, your sort of mid range scene and just some of the small details you might not notice. Otherwise, it, it just it seemed like a thing that would sort of like, you know, help you hone the creative muscles and just notice and appreciate more things. So I, I may I may try and push myself to do that soon, knowing that's uh, something that seemed to have that positive effect for you.
0: Did you? Yeah, I would definitely recommend doing it. And anybody watching and listening to do the same thing, especially in local places. Um, Do you have a four? Uh, I do have a four and
1: that four is is very business related and it has to do with contracted shoots. Okay. Um, Up until this year, I had only done a handful of these and they were always through someone that I knew. So, you know, it was fairly low pressure, you had sort of a rapport with people beforehand. So, you know, you, you knew what they expected, they knew what you could do and things like that. And there's a level of comfort that goes into that. Um, I got a I got a cold call earlier this year, um, and I mentioned on one of the episodes previously, but not in too much detail of uh, and an uh, art director for a college alumni magazine left me a message and said, hey, I just want to talk to you about a, about a project. And in my head, I thought, you know, they want me to speak to a student or, you know, give a perspective or something like that. And I didn't put too much thought into it because having a cold call and have someone saying, you know, hey, I wanna send you somewhere to get a photo, just wasn't a really a perspective I had up until this point. It wasn't a thing that had happened to me. It wasn't anything I was trying to seek out either. Um, I just didn't really think there was that many opportunities out there, but I ended up following up on this voicemail and it turned very quickly into a conversation about, okay, we need this very specific photo with this very specific composition. Um, you know, are you available? We need it in three weeks. Um, how would you go about doing it? What are your prices? And uh, it was, it was all a very new experience for me. I, I tried not to tell the client that um, <laughs> and, and it, what is, it wasn't even like a fake it till you make it situation. You know, I, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna BS anybody and try and say that I can do something that I can't because it if you don't know or you don't think you can pull it off it's not going to be good for either of you um, maybe it's a rough learning experience but you're gonna come away with you know a client that's not happy and you know an experience that you you probably didn't make the best of mm. so you know I, I didn't really know going into it you know how exactly it was supposed to go if that makes sense but. Just what I learned was you're trying to help a client solve a problem. You know, she called me because I had photos of Montana, which is a place they were thinking of trying to get a photo from. Um, They knew I knew the area. They knew I could get shots there that that looked good. So they gave me a call. At that point, I just asked as many questions as I could, try and figure out, you know, what do you guys need and can I deliver it? And what ended up, I think, really helping me out is that I did all that fact finding up front. And you know, what it ended, what I ended up doing was, you know, trying to ask what their budget was. Um, after they asked me what my creative fee was. And when they asked me what my creative fee was, a little voice in my head said, Oh God, what's that? Yes. Um, but what I ended up doing is just saying, listen, you know, I I live in Massachusetts, you're out in Montana, like I'm gonna have to travel. So I, I can put together a proposal for you, but I want to get an idea of kind of what cost range you're thinking about because I don't want to, you know, blow you guys out of the water and and waste either of our times. Um, and she was appreciative of that. She told me, you know, a number that was basically what it would have cost me to get there. And so I told her that and I said, like, listen, that's pretty much flights, you know, rental cars and and campgrounds. So, you know, if, if that is the budget, I might not be your guy, but I could also, if you're not necessarily married to me going to, Glacier National Park, for example, you know, I live closer to Acadia National Park. Could I get the type of photo you're looking for there? And that way I don't have to fly. Mm -hmm. And she was really appreciative of all the different ideas and that kind of offer. So I ended up putting together a proposal with sort of a a low, mid and high range option in terms of, you know, price and effort. And, you know, had another call with her and she ended up saying, you know what? I don't need to hear the middle and the low one. We're going to go with the Montana one. And that ended up being... I think it ended up being about 170% of the budget she originally quoted. So yeah. it was it was a total crash course. It was something I hadn't really experienced too much of before, but it was a great learning experience. And it was helpful for me to know that, you know, those types of things do exist. They may be fairly few and far between based on kind of how you know media and the industry is kind of changing. But you know, if if you get a phone call for something like that don't just immediately discount it or just decide I'm going to throw a number at it and see what happens. Ask questions, try and learn about the problem and figure out what you can do for it.
0: Well, even if those things are few and far between, like now, you could say, hey, you know, looking back, I've had a handful of those over the years. But, you know, everybody always says it's who you know. Well, it's more like who knows you, right? And you never know Who she's talking to down the road or who she recommends you to so you never know who knows you and who's going to reach out to you next so that and and correct me if i'm wrong here but that really can pay dividends down the road in dealing with her friends her colleagues maybe somebody takes over her role and she leaves your name behind you you just never really know too much
1: no i think that's true
0: and i think i think the idea of who knows you is a great way to think about it
1: I kind of approached it as, you know, listen, I may not be right for this. It may not be right for me, but I'm at the very least going to, you know, give it the time of day and, you know, put a little bit of effort into finding out more about it. And worst case scenario, if I don't get it, or if I'm not the right guy for the job or it's not the right job for me, you know, you at least gave that person, you know, a valuable experience and potentially helped like send them in a direction that would be better for them. And I don't think that stuff goes unnoticed, So like you said, like, you know, maybe it's not the job you get at that point, but maybe that person recommends you down the road because they had a good phone call with you.
0: Yeah. And I, I've always recommended, and this is something that I did when I was starting, trying to leave my day job and take up photography full-time. One of the things I did was I called it the 10 before 10, and I would email 10 people, just cold emails every single day before 10 a.m. And at the end of the year you know if you do it 10 people every single day that's 10 times 365 so now you've got a pretty good amount of contacts out with feelers that could be anybody and you know more often than not it was people saying replying like thanks we'll keep your contact um appreciate you reaching out which is fine but two three years down the road i start getting some of these jobs that i had reached out to people on these on Um, people that knew me as like a local middle Tennessean Um, and one of them was actually with the nature conservancy and they hired me to do a project they bought a piece of property it was going to become a state park and they were protecting it but they had no idea what was really out there Um, so they were like hey we remember you contacting us two three years ago go out there and show us what you find and what's beautiful about it now There was also the encounter on that trip with Caveman Joe. That is a story for another time. Kind of terrifying to uh, experience that while camping out on this random mountain in East Tennessee. But it was a fun trip, and it did lead to, like you said, understanding that negotiation side of it. You know, what do they get in return? What do you get in return? And that back and forth.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think caveman Joe ties in perfectly to the storytelling thing we were mentioning. So
0: (laughs) I think just die right in, or it can be a whole other episode up to you. You know, had I gotten a photo of it, would it have rivaled the Sasquatch photos? I'm not really sure. Maybe. Well, you didn't get it. So we'll never know. We'll never know. The legend lives on.
1: Um, No, I mean, that does sound like a really cool, uh, a really cool um, project, though. So I, I'm, I'm curious, how did, you know, you said you you put your name out there, they found you a couple of years later, how did sort of the process go beforehand of, you know, kind of working out the contract and what they were looking for and what you deliver and what you kind of got them in the
0: end? Yeah, so they were basically um, needing somebody to go out there, they had a handful of like gps coordinates in mind of places that they wanted and then they said hey um we also want a specific shot a panorama of sunrise from an overlook because there's a a river that winds through the valley out there so they wanted an overlook panorama at sunrise uh, of this river overlook and that is why we ended up camping up there because I needed to get that shot and I didn't want to you know go up there and the uh forestry Ranger actually did not he was accompanying me the entire time but left me up there overnight and said that he was not camping up there and he left and went back home and then I guess he was just hoping that I would survive the night and you know meet up with him the next day uh but Lo and behold, I'm still here. But then back and forth, they basically were like, here's what we need. Um, and I said, okay, I'll deliver this. I kind of took uh, some some advice from wedding photographers. And I said, here's the package. Here's the amount of photos that you're gonna get. Um, and this is also what's included. And then they took that uh, pano shot that I got for them and they put it in like this Tennessee, uh, landscapes book, which was pretty cool, because I had never seen my, my photos in print before at the time. Um, so it was a pretty cool experience overall. Yeah, absolutely. No, that sounds really good. All right, my number four is this. And it goes into contrast with that, what I was saying earlier about slowing down my number four is to go as fast as possible. But do it without asking yourselves any questions so i talked earlier about the contrast between photo and business um so for the business side for the photo side i'm i'm going as slow as possible as often as i can business side i'm going very fast making quick decisions i'm uh posting without thinking about it too much so if I have an idea about, you know, a post that I want to do, whether it's a photo or a video or reel or anything like that, I'm going to do it. If I think, you know, I want to get and, and post stuff on TikTok four times a day for a month and see what happens, I'm going to do that and take that chance uh, and spend my time doing that to see what happens. So for the business side, I'm making quick decisions but I'm making decisions strategically in order to continue to build a following, continue to kind of like what you were talking about, continue to direct new people to what I'm trying to do with my business to the website. So they have a good experience. Um, because you know, how much you can make in photography, in my opinion is the size of your email list and then also the quality experience of the email list as well Um, so there's a lot that kind of goes into that but making quick decisions and not over analyzing overthinking everything I feel like is a big way to do that and actually get your name out there work really quickly uh, and and if I'm making content like YouTube videos anything like that uh, Instagram Reels, it is yes, for the enjoyment of the current followers, but a lot of it is for outreach to new followers who might want to get in on, you know, what we're teaching here, uh, the the information that they're giving out.
1: Yeah, the the stressed out type A, uh, slow planning type is definitely taking notes right
0: now. You know, my wife is very type A. Uh, and when I come to her, I, I've learned how to very strategically approach these, um, especially when it comes to like ideas I have that are actually going to cost me money to pull off. (laughs) And she's not too happy about that oftentimes. But if I have thought it through, and I have a plan of how I can make that money back up uh, in the long run, she's usually pretty, pretty good about it. Yeah, I mean, and and to be honest, though, I, I, I do like the idea of just moving a bit faster with stuff like that
1: because i mean it's it, i feel well, everybody like...
0: overthinks like so so much about just posting a picture like everybody overthinks that stuff right and and how long is any one person going to be looking at that photo the amount of thought you'd put into it versus you know
1: scrolling exactly
0: by. or or like should i share this as a story on my profile well that story is only going to last 10 seconds uh, and then they're never going to see it again so really like if you're thinking about it too now i'm not saying like post nudes of yourself or anything like that that's not what i'm talking about talking and you know i don't know i don't this could go a, a lot of weird different directions so maybe i should steer off that course Crossing awesome, some things <laughs> off the list now good good you mentioned that. <laughs> let me think yes not gonna do that but i think like hmm over analyzing is kind of the whole saying of like analysis paralysis right uh so you analyze something so much that you actually don't end up doing anything uh and and i think that's a huge detriment that a lot of people encounter especially when it comes to your photography business side
1: yeah and i and i think i i embody that that perfectly (laughs) <laughs> um I I move slow in most things that I do I've been like that for as long as I can remember my mother actually found my elementary school uh report cards from from years ago and I looked at them I think it was over last winter there was maybe third or fourth grade it said something to the effect of like Kevin is a slow and careful worker uh <laughs> we don't want to give him anything extra right now because that might stress him out that's amazing. i like I I thought I developed this at some point but apparently I've been like that since I'm a kid, but I mean I I feel like I want to take some of the advice you just said because I I do agree. I like going slow when it comes to photography, but when it comes to the business side of things, everything's always changing. It's trial and error. You've got to try things and make mistakes and see what works and see what doesn't. You know, I've to to be scientific about it. I'll say I've gathered a lot of data over the past couple of years with trying different things to see what works and what doesn't. You're, you know, you're gonna have to maybe, you know, make mistakes and and either lose some money or not be able to gain some money along the way sometimes. When it is business, it's kind of inevitable. But like you said, for the things like posting on social media and stuff like that, go
0: go ahead and do it. Yeah see yeah. what works see what doesn't and and have a you you kind of want to have an idea of a plan going into it like if I'm posting that the current thing I'm doing right now is for posting is I am locked in to two posts per day one reel in the morning one photo post in the evening so two posts a day for like two months and that's what I'm locked in doing just to see what happens um, but like if you're trying something new Here's the progression that's going to happen. You are going to be pretty stoked about the idea um, going into it. You're going to feel like you know it's a great idea. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people excited about it. Number two, you're going to find out that not as many people are probably excited about it as you are, just because it's your idea, which isn't a bad thing, honestly, because people are going to give you their feedback on what they think you could do to improve or and i'm not quoting anything my wife would say right now i absolutely am um but we're recording right now they could oh sorry my bad um so that would be number two number three is you're going to go into this phase of what did i get myself into there's a lot more work than i thought there was going to be with this But then number four, you're going to eventually pull it off um, and you're going to learn something from it and you're probably going to improve as a person from it, too. Um, So it's big things like that can be kind of scary. Um, And I'll give you an example of this at uh, the beginning of 2024. um, I decided this about a month ago to I was going to uh, do an online photography conference. And it was going to span twelve days. There were going to be twelve presenters, and um, you know I'm going to have sponsors and giveaways through the entire thing. And I was going to do it starting on December first. So it at the time of recording right now, it is December thirteenth. I decided this one month ago, and obviously it did not happen on December first. I rethought that. And, thought, you know what, there's a lot of black Friday stuff going on. I'm going to table that and do it at the beginning of the year. And we'll rebrand it to like your new photo, photo goals for 2024. Um, we have 10 out of 12 presenters recorded. It's ready to go, but I didn't even think about, you know, building landing pages having sign up forms writing up the documents that people need to sign as presenters because i am paying them for their time and their services Uh, so there's a lot of the legal aspect that goes into it as well i didn't think about on the front end because i'm just excited about the idea but through the process i've gone through those four phases and now i'm like okay i can see that the end of the tunnel i can see this coming to fruition Um, it's actually, I'm, I'm going to pull it off and you know, I'm pretty excited about it.
1: No, that sounds awesome. And I mean, it's, I think the, the phrase that always comes to mind to me is, is progress, not perfection, which is something I've had to repeat to myself over and over and over over the past few years to move forward at all. But I mean, kind of what you just described to me is, you know, you had an idea, you ran with it, you had to make some adjustments along the way, which is fine. Um, just because you move ahead with things doesn't mean you aren't also aware of what's going on like you know learn and adjust as you go along but keep moving forward getting get an idea and run
0: with it yeah definitely for sure and the speed part is so important as we land the plane here and i we didn't talk about this beforehand i'm spitballing here give me one thing that you want to do in 2024 with your photography
1: Ooh, um, this, this ties in uh, in a very interesting way to what you just talked about, because I have had a project that's been in my head for roughly seven years, we'll say. Okay. Um, and I've been gathering up photos in very specific situations over those years. And I think I'm finally gonna be ready to be able to release that sometime in 2024. And that is the top of my list in terms of things that I finally wanna get done. I'm not I'm not saying more than that right now. But you said a lot of words, but you did
0: not say what it was. That is correct. (laughs) You summarized perfectly. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. In 2024. uh, My goal is to visit one place that has been on my photography bucket list for more than five years. So actually going to somewhere that I've always wanted to go to, because we're not getting any younger. We need to just go out and do it. Uh, Hopefully it's a place that I can drive to and just knock off the bucket list. Um, and I'll tell you one place that I think it's going to be is there is a Canyon in North Georgia, actually, that has some beautiful, like red clay cliffs and it has just a lot of really cool like green foliage overhanging on it so it's kind of like a very miniature grand canyon with green trees all over it so it's a pretty cool place um and i've seen a lot of photos from it and uh Bree stockwell is actually somebody who reminded me of it the other day because she went there when she was starting her photography journey uh, and we talked about it a little bit so i think that is probably going to be my location.
1: No, that sounds awesome. Go do
0: it right now. Oh, okay. Oh, let me first finish up the podcast. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. I know there's a lot of lessons learned in 2023, where you can look back and say, what was I thinking, but I hope that this conversation spurred some learning adjustments and areas in your life that you can now apply and move forward into the next year and hopefully have some more goals as well on behalf of kevin thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time